um, under the sound of our voice, we know that, like we said, there's every marriage has its seasons, mm -hmm. and we have to understand what season we're in. And even for the single people who are interested in understanding what life is in the marriage world, don't get intimidated by anything that we say tonight, because again, every relationship is different. Everyone that has a red bag, pull out your red bag and look in your bag, and I think everybody has a, a candy bag. Right? Right? I think, I'm assuming. All right. And if you look at your neighbor's bag, what's in your neighbor's bag may not be what's in your bag. And so a lot of times we go into marriages comparing what someone else has. Right. And we're looking at somebody else's goodies and becoming dissatisfied by what we have, you know? And so that's one of the things about marriage that we really have to understand. And so some of you guys in your, in your bags may have baby roofs. How many of you have baby roofs? And just for a symbolic reason, some of you guys are in childbearing stages where you still have young children in, in your home or having to care of your children. And so you don't have the freedoms and the flexibilities and the luxuries in your marriage that another couple may have, but you have to remember that is a season. Mm -hmm. Your children will not be dependent on you always, and a lot of marriages, and we'll get into that later into our um, segment when we're talking about cellmates, cellmates, covenant, and roommates, all right? And so um, we're, we're um, just looking at each other and like, okay, well, when is this season over? When? Am I going to be able to enjoy life with my spouse and not have to be a caregiver all my life? Some of you guys have twigs in your bag, right? Some of you guys have the left twigs, some have the right twigs. I think the right twigs is better than the left twigs, but a twig is without the left one or right is not a twig. It's just a candy bar. And a lot of us in marriages try to do it alone, but we have a partner. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. All right, how many of you have Tootsie Roll Pops? How many licks does it take? How many licks does it take to get to the center of Tootsie Pops? And a lot of us lose our intimacy in marriage relationships. And I know even in the church, sadly, um, Christians have a hard time talking about sex and intimacy in a relationship. And because it's so taboo, it's like, why do we as, I'm assuming that we're all believers, why do we as believers become so afraid to talk about sex and intimacy when God gave us a covenant relationship where we should be able to enjoy sex and more sex and more intimacy? And one of the things my husband says, it's a shame that the single people are having more sex than, than the married people. And I always said to him, I say, babe, listen. I said, sex is instant and they don't. I say, but couples and people who've been in covenant for a while, they need intimacy. And so knowing the difference in your relationship about just having sexual intercourse and intimacy will get you a long way in your relationship. How many of you guys have m &Ms? Yeah. All right. This represents the family unit that we come from. Some of us got plain and some of us got nuts in our families. But when we come together in our relationships, when we come together in our relationships, we are a single unit. It's not an M. It's M and M's. So when we come in covenant with our spouse, we're coming in covenant with the whole family, the peanuts and the planes. 
right? So we have to remember, your spouse comes from a set of circumstances that you may not understand, but if you work together, it's not just the M, it's the M and M and the M and M that make you guys unique, and you have to come together as a team. Many of you guys are waiting on a payday. How many of you guys have a payday? And you're wondering, like, when is this prayer and fasting going to pay off in this marriage relationship? I've been praying. I've been submitting. I've been asking God. I've been believing. I've been walking in faith. But I don't see my payday. This is one of the biggest tricks of the enemy to get us to feel intimidated or inferior because it's not looking like what it was promised. And so when you understand that, again, everybody bad has something different, all right? And last but not, oh, I got two more, I'm sorry. Snickers, you know? We got those things where we have these emotions and they say Snickers satisfy you. Snickers ain't gonna satisfy just like marriage. Marriage does not fill the void. No, it doesn't. Marriage does not fill the identity void, and marriage does not fill the, the, the whatever void you're trying to fill. Marriage does not fill that. And so we know that they say Snickers will satisfy you, but marriage will not solve your emotional problems. Right. Marriage right. will not solve your secret sexual struggles. Right. Marriage will not solve any of those things, okay? And last but not least, don't lay a finger on my butterfinger. And some of us go into relationships very selfish. Mm -hmm. It's about me, 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 mine, and mine. And we go into a relationship, me, mine, and I. Thank you, sir. Uh, we go into relationships knowing that we should be two, but we're so selfish and self-centered that it's all about my. Well, that, that right there, speaking of me, mine, I, and that whole dynamic and how it hinges the relationship, by definition, love is the offering of oneself to the benefit of another. I want you to think about this. The Bible said God so loved the world that he what? God is love. Love is give. Love and give are synonymous. The son came in a body. What did he do with the body for our sins? Gave it. The Holy Spirit came with gifts. What did he do with them? Gave them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give. God is love. Love is give, which means love and give are synonymous terms. So love is not about what I deserve to receive. Love is about what I covenanted to give. Now I want you to think about this. If in our marriage, if Mark's for Mark and Lisa's for Mark, then who's neglected? Lisa. If Lisa's for Lisa and Mark's for Lisa, who's neglected? So it only works when you have two givers. When you have two givers, you have two lovers. To say I love and not give is not to love. So as my wife was saying with the Butterfingers is that we have to shift the conversation from me, my, and I to we, us, and our. We have to really put the interests of the other person and the well-being of the other person first. And as we do that, then the, re the relationship is replete with love. Now, the second thing I want to mention is this, right? For those who say, well, I, I love my spouse, but I'm not in love with my spouse. Yada, yada, right? So if you do love, you'll feel love. If you stop doing love, you'll stop feeling love. One of the things also that we discovered in our marriage, you know, some years ago, that men desire respect, all right? And when a man doesn't feel respected, he doesn't show love. And a woman, she desires love. And when a woman doesn't feel like she's in love, she won't show respect. 
And so a lot of marriages go through that place about feeling love and doing love because if the thing of it is what came first, the chicken of the leg, the disrespect or the unfeeling, uh, the, um, unfeeling worthy or not feeling loved and appreciated. And these are things where you said communication. You know, we have to be able to communicate what we feel without it being a threat. And a lot of relationships cannot talk about their feelings without the feelings being suppressed, overlooked, you know, or being later um, thrown back at them or, or something. Also, when it comes to um, doing love, again, if you can't be selfish and you can't be fair. How many of you actually are married here? Did you marry somebody that you did not like? <clears throat> did you stand at the altar or courthouse or wherever you stood that day and say, I'm marrying somebody I just don't like? We did not do that. We did not go into our vow agreement, covenant agreement saying, oh my gosh, he just get on my nerves, but I'm, I'm just going to go along with it anyway. No, we went to the altar, made that agreement because we said that we love that person. And for, for most of us, we look past a lot of red flags mm -hmm. and warnings because we love that person. I just love you so much, right? Yep. But the thing of it is, love is not going to fix anything if you don't give that person permission to love you. And I remember we went through a season where my husband was trying to love me unconditionally, but because of what I went through, I did not give him permission to love me. Mm -hmm. But then I was mad because he wasn't loving me. So I gave him a make me happy list. And everything that was on my list was based on a void that could not be filled by my husband. I had to allow God to do that. And so how many of you have really gone into a relationship, marrying somebody that you don't like, but then now you're in this marriage relationship and you will not give them permission to love you? Well, in up-close personal relationships smoke all our issues to the surface. You know, one of the things that we have to do if we're going to grow and keep offering a better version of ourselves to our relationship is that we got to take ownership for what we see in ourselves doing love, doing relationship. I say like this, if it come about of me, it's mine. You can't make me mad. It had to be in there already. And so up close personal relationships draw all our issues to the surface. You know, I came into our marriage with a whole lot of pride. I inherited it from my family. My wife came into our relationship with a whole lot of insecurity. She inherited them from sexual molestation by her grandfather and others. So God, you know, God is very economical. So when he wants to kill pride and insecurity at the same time, he marries them. <laughs> and a lot of tension comes as we start working through our deliverances. But we, one of the things we had to learn is that tension means that there are things we have to keep marrying. I want you to think about this. You have, she has a different background than me. We have different frames of reference. We have different perspective. We have different, you know, everything is different, right? Okay, except our blood type. Ironically, we both be positive. All right, imagine that. But the point is, right, over the course of relationship, we start having to deal with things that really came from our childhood. You know, most of the issues we deal with in marriage have nothing to do with marriage. It's what happened to you from zero to 12 years old, and marriage is where you, marriage is supposed to be the one place that's safe enough for you to be delivered from childhood traumas. 
But now you got to decide when you start going through all this stuff with your spouse, do I care about what you're working through or do I just want what I want? Do I care about the fact that, you know, for example, I remember a, a, a time in our marriage in the early 90s where my wife was working through sexual trauma, you know, molestation and rape and all this by family members and mama's, you know, situationships and whatnot. And I remember during that time, because my wife had not really processed these things. Remember, we got we came right into the church. We got saved after we got married. You came okay? right into the church. I drove All right. Home so anyway, she got. That's a whole other story about how she got saved. Um, but anyway, so uh, once you know, once you get married and all these things start cropping up, right now you got to start working through these things. And I give an example because of the trauma she had experienced sexually. You know, I gave up all my options, right? And now I only got one option for my sexual fulfillment, my wife. And she's a nun. Come on. Don't ask me for none. Don't look like you want none, right? You ain't finna get none, right? Now, remember, and I come from a background, I come from a background where there's no way one woman can satisfy a, a, a man. You know, I come from a background where I've always had several women at the same time. My wife used to be one of my girlfriends, right? So now I'm saved, so I got one shot at it. And she's like, no. I'm like, you mean no now? You mean later? No, not at all. And I went to God, and as my wife said, marriage does not heal perversion. Marriage does not fix voids. So God was delivering her from sexual trauma. In order to freely offer her sexuality, she had to first get it back. She had to reclaim herself from her abusive past. So that now, for the first time, she would freely offer it in love because the other times it was taken in molestation. I figured that out. She didn't tell me that. I figured that out going to God mad. Hello, somebody. And when I went to God about this, you know what the Lord told me? The Lord says, son, you have sex on the throne of your heart. He says, and you need to be delivered. And he showed me I had to walk through the deliverance of being, uh, 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 being delivered from sexual perversion, having all these different women and whatnot. So God was delivering me to put it in his proper place. God was delivering her so she could put it in his proper place and offer it freely to the relationship. The point I'm making is it was a process. And either one of us could have walked out, I don't have to take this, a man need what a man need, or we can lock in and say, no, I'm locked into this process because I realize that up close personal relationships are smoking our issues to the surface and you're the person I covenanted with to resolve these issues so we can move on in life together. That's good, sir. Do you want to add something? So, so anyway, we want to get back. I want to back up, backtrack to something my wife said earlier. And that is about comparison. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's very important to never compare your marriage to anyone else's marriage. Yeah. And as you transition through seasons together, stages of life together, don't compare anything to anything. You know what I love about my wife? My, my wife, our first place we lived together was a garage. Mm -hmm. She lived with me in a garage. She used to ride around. She used to steal parts from the junkyard with me. The true story. We were so broke. We had to steal parts from the junkyard. Right? Bonnie and Clyde. We've been together. Hello, somebody. We've been, she, 
what I know about my wife is this. She will live with me anywhere. Where I live, that's where she lives. We drive in the car that you had to have some duct tape, a bottle of water, and you know, and all that to drive anywhere. And right, but nonetheless, all these, huh? Fix the flat. All these seasons of life, we had to evolve together and work together and change together and grow together. And so it's important to never compare anything to anything. Never compare any season to a former season. Because comparison is a thief that robs you from the present context of your relationship. And comparison keeps you from being willing to do the work that this stage of relationship requires. And he was, and that's what I'm saying, because when you start preparing, you know, we always talk about the grass being green on the other side, but we don't know the work mm -hmm. that is needed to cultivate certain soil, certain grass, you know? And so even in that place where my husband was talking about, in that comparison state, that's why we have to understand why we married the person that we married. Because when you understand your purpose together, you can weather the storms together. But if you don't know why you're together when things happen, mm -hmm. then you fall apart and you start pointing fingers at each other. Well, you did this and you did that and this is why and this is why. And so again, going back to comparisons, comparisons is a very deadly thing. Right. Because the Bible tells us that he that compare, when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're not, we're not wise. wise. And a lot of us don't have the wisdom that's necessary to walk through the seasons in certain parts of our relationship because we're too busy looking on the fence at other people and right. how they're doing it. And so when you show up to your marriage, you have to have the confidence in your marriage that you're in to be able to walk through the processes. Right. But when you're comparing, because I have an interesting personality that only Mark Jones can deal with, right? And we, we sit and talk sometime about, you know, who we dated before we married, and, and I'm like, nah, he wouldn't have been able to, nah, she wouldn't have been able to, nah, he would, you know, but so God knew, you know, with all of my unique makeups that I needed a Mark Jones. Yeah to be able to help balance me out and vice versa. But when you're comparing, oh well, there, and again, back to seasons, there's a lot of couples that are in financial ruin right now because they're trying to keep, keep up, up with, with the other Joneses. people. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You know, they're, they're trying to live above their means. Right. And they're trying to they're trying to outlive their childhood. They're trying to outlive what was said about them, and they're draining and straining the relationship because they are not in that current season. Right. Right. You know. And so again, going back to that, and my husband was talking about we were talking about feelings. Uh, never allow our feelings to become slaves. Um, to our, our choices, and so what I mean by that, there's things that happen in our relationships, and what happens is we feel some kind of way, and we become consistent with our last bad choice. Yeah, like if you get mad in the morning before y'all leave for work, you don't have to carry on that mad all day long. You don't have to be consistent with your last bad choice. You know, and throughout the day, you can send little texts and soften it up, and you never know, it may be real soft when you get home. Right. So it's not about being consistent with the last bad choice. It's about recognizing that if I'm going to break, a, for example, a, a bad interactive uh, cycle, how do you break a cycle? And that is through just doing just the opposite of what you feel. That's how you break a cycle. You know, wherever there's a cycle, a negative cycle, 
There are two people contributing to that cycle. It's like a bicycle. One up, one down. One up, one down. One up, one down. So how do we break a cycle in our relationship that's undesirable? Quit your 50% of the foolishness. Literally, if you quit your 50% of the foolishness, you'll reap what you sow. And, and remember this, I'm responsible for the person I offer to my marriage. I'm not responsible for the person she offers to the marriage. The person she offers ain't my business. I'm committed to love every version of her. I'm going to say that again. I'm committed to love every version of her. Every version of her. You see that? So I'm not concerned about the person she offers to the marriage. I'm concerned about the person I offer to the marriage. You see? And here's something else I've learned, right? If we, as long as you're blamed, you're not going to change. Whenever you point fingers, what you're saying is, I refuse to do my part to create change in this relationship. Right? I said earlier, couples that change together stay together, right? The divorce clock starts ticking when someone says, I refuse to change anymore. Because it really is about growing and evolving in marriage is about constantly adapting and adjusting to something that is very dynamic. There's nothing static about a relationship. It's very dynamic. And let me show you something I learned. I don't care how much somebody loves you. Nobody wants to be stuck with you. I don't care how much somebody loves you, nobody wants to feel like they are stuck with you. You know what the question of headship is? Where are we going? It's like men get mad when women won't submit, when submission means come under the mission, which means if you, if you want submission, you should at least have a mission. Where are we going? What, what is our direction? What is our future? You know, one of the things I had to paint for my wife because of the abandonment she's dealt with and things, right? I had to paint a, a future for us without our kids. Because the narrative was, well, he's only with me because the kids, and once the kids get old enough, see, that's what abandonment does. Whenever you deal with abandonment, you will surely push people away from you. And not just with the abandonment, there was seeds that were sown into me even as a little girl, when I was a young girl. And so we have to be very careful when we come into a marriage, we don't bring the baggage. Right. You know, and a lot of us do it and not even realizing we're bringing emotional baggage yep. into the relationship. Other people fears. And when we're looking at the problems that we're having, we're really not having the not problem with problem. a marriage. We're having the problem with how our mindset and how we manage the So a lot of times it's not the marriage that's the problem. It's the mindset that I have concerning my marriage that's making this mess and this problem. So therefore, even when it came to some of the things my husband, we would try to talk about, He's talking to me, but in the back of my head, I'm hearing conversations that my mother spoke. I'm hearing conversations that the women in my family spoke. And so now I'm contending with what this man is telling me with what the women in my family who I'm familiar with. Remember I told you, some of these families, we got M&Ms, and some of us got planes, and some of us got nuts. And so, so I was sitting there trying to figure out how do I make sense of this from this man who I'm still learning to love and learn to trust versus the women that I've experienced. My mother, my grandmother, my aunts, yeah. my female cousins. Yeah. And so I'm here, girl, he just wants you because you had them babies. He gonna get tired of you. And so because I dealt with abandonment, hearing these 
words, he gonna get tired of you and he's only with you because you had these babies and all these things. Now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, it's just a matter of time. So I went through a lot of emotional chaos and turmoil and my husband's trying to say, Lisa, this is where we're going. And he said, I'm painting this picture for you. He's putting blue on the page, but I'm trying to figure out, is it light blue, dark blue, navy blue, turquoise? Too good to be true. And, and it was, I'm working his nerves because it was in the conversations that I was having internally did not match the conversations that we were having in our covenant relationship. And so if we're really looking at our relationship, we have to deal with fear. Transpose fears. And, tra and yep. tra I was dealing with transpose fears because the women in my family came from a lot of control. They wanted to have control. And manipulation. And so therefore. And witchcraft. And so when I come to a husband, I get to a point where I'm trying to um, learn how to submit. In the back of my mind, uh-uh, girl, don't no man tell you what to do. So now I'm not only in trouble with what I'm doing, but now. God is having to deal with me because I was going against what God wrote a word was saying that a wife should submit, but I did not know how to submit. I did not want to submit. All right? Because, even, and I'll put it back, I did not know how to submit. Mm -hmm. I knew how to manipulate the situation to get what I needed when I wanted it. So I submitted long enough to get it, but then when it was done, I knew how to go back to what I my way. So therefore, I knew how to submit when it was necessary. That's that Thursday submission, because payday is Friday. Right. of my disobedience to what it looks like to submit. So I went from one extreme to the other. I went from submitting, I mean, I'm sorry, I went from unsubmitted, non-submission to idolatry. So now I went from, you ain't my daddy, you don't tell me what to do. But then I had to think about it, wait, I ain't had my daddy in my life, so I don't even know what a man is supposed to tell me what to do. So I'm throwing words, but what does that look like? You know, and so what it was, was my fear of if I put my guards down, you're gonna fall in sync like the women that you see. So I felt like if I had a level of control, then if the abandonment happened, I had a reason for it. You know, I, I, wanna, I wanna mention that one of the things that I developed throughout this, this time, which is what God was working on in me, remember this, uh, I don't think this is the person I was supposed to marry and we unequally yoked. Too late, you married. All right? So, no. So God is working through your bad choice. Bad choices. No. I, I was talking with somebody today who was going through the yada yada about the wrong person and he this and she that. I'm like, do you believe your steps are ordered by God? Yes. Do you believe all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord? Yes. Do you believe your time and season are in his hand? Yes. I said, do you marry exactly the person you need it for your deliverance. You married exactly the person. I said the only thing you're going to lose through this process is what don't look like Christ. That's all you lose through this process. I learned through all of this to love my wife unconditionally and unreservedly. And what I mean by that is this. There's nothing she needs to do to keep being the beneficiary of my love. There's nothing she needs to do. There's no size she need to be. Wow. 
there, right. there's no, there's none of that stuff, you know, all that stuff that none she need to do in order to continue to be the beneficiary I've already chosen. Hold on a second. Oh. Secondly, unreservedly, meaning under no circumstances will I withhold the person God told me to offer her. If, so there is no, there is no tip for tat. Romans 12, 21, save my marriage. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. I'm, gonna, I'm not going tip for tat. I'm gonna offer the person God said I'm supposed to offer no matter what you do. So unconditionally, unreservedly. Now going back to that, going back with the abandonment, because I know a lot of people deal with rejection, mm -hmm. abandonment, or some both, okay? And so with me with the abandonment, no matter how much, excuse me, my husband was trying to demonstrate unconditional love, like I said, that conversation in the back of my head was saying something totally different, all right? And so during that process, um, there was a lot of self-inflicting wounds. There was a lot of self-fulfilling prophecies. There was a lot of things that I was doing to myself in order to secure my emotions, okay? And so when a person is dealing with abandonment issues, they're always questioning their worth and their value, mm -hmm. you know, or what they've done, can I do more? and everything, and so I was thinking, okay, well I didn't do this, and I did that, today's gonna be the day he's gonna leave. Mm -hmm. And I was in torment for a long time, because I'm thinking, I didn't do enough, I didn't do enough, I didn't do it right, or I didn't, 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 whatever it was, and that was abandonment saying, see, you, you gotta perform. Mm -hmm. Unconditional love does not require you to perform. Mm -hmm. Unconditional love just allows you to be yourself, and the person who's loving you, well, it just flows. But when you're dealing with abandonment issues, you feel like you have to perform mm -hmm. in order for the marriage or for the relationship to work. You know, I, I, remember, I remember a time in our marriage where I got resentful that the Holy Ghost my wife had and the one I had weren't the same Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hers was like Casper, you know. Mine was the Holy Ghost, right? And I remember I got mad because I couldn't use my cuss words no more, and she could still use her cuss words. Every little thing I do, he's cor corrected me about, and she get to just come home whenever she want to and do whatever she want, right? And I, I got resentful of my wife because we both supposed to be in the church, but there's two different playbooks on how you're supposed to live. And I never forget, I could not stand to hear her voice. I'm just literally, you know, you got people say, we've been happily married for 32 years. No, we were obediently married for some of them years. We were obediently married. And I'll never forget, I was a manager. I've been in management all my life, and I was a manager. I was training some people and Kiki and ha ha and with them at work. And the Holy Spirit confronted me and said, aren't you something? He says, here you are laughing and levity with all these people who have no vested interest in you and you can't stand to hear the voice of the one you're in covenant relationship with. He said you are in the gall of bitterness and you need to repent. Now remember, I'm the writer one. I'm the one doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And what I found out is the Holy Ghost ain't on your side. Every time I went to God talking about my wife, he never agreed with me. He kept telling me what I needed to do and what my role was and my, my responsibility is. And he kept reinforcing who I am to what she is becoming. So anyway, that's where the bitterness came from 
is that I began to resent the fact she wasn't changing at the rate I thought she should change. So that brings me to the next point, and that is, you are not Holy Ghost Junior. It's not your job to decide whether what God's efforts are working in the life of your spouse or not. Your job is to love them, God's job is to change them. At no point are you to manipulate or control in order to get somebody. He that's changed against his will is of the same opinion still. Anything they do because you said so, it ain't gonna last. Soon as they get mad, they're gonna stop doing it and you're gonna get madder. So how do I get my spouse to change? How do I get, how do I cooperate with the changes my, my God wants to bring in the life of my spouse? Okay, how do I do that? Number one, speak the truth in love. Hey, here's what I don't like. Don't ever walk on eggshells. Here's what I don't like. I really think this needs to improve in our relationship. Speak the truth in love. Number two, model the truth you spoke. There's nothing worse than a relationship with double standards. There is nothing worse than you telling me what we need to do and you don't do it. There's nothing worse than a relationship with double standards. So if you speak the truth about what we need, you should at least show up doing that and show up being that. So model the truth you spoke. And the third key, intercede for change. Because see what happens is if they change by conviction, then those changes are permanent because that's between their heart and the Holy Ghost. If they're changed because you withholding goods and services, if they, hello, if they change because you withholding goods and services, that ain't gonna last long. And the moment they get mad, they ain't gonna care about it. And they're gonna go back to being worse at wassa than they were before. So it must be by conviction, not by coercion. Go ahead. All right, so one of the things that was on our notes also uh, is this thought, all right, this thought. I fe it feels good, but I'm not happy. So I wanna, for just a moment, I wanna deal with marital happiness for just a moment, okay? Like? And what does it look like? Number one, it is not your spouse's job to make you happy. Please, please don't give nobody that bill. And if the truth be told, if you have never given yourself happiness by yourself, then why would you give somebody else a bill that make me happy when you know you weren't even happy when you came into marriage? Somebody shout, my happiness is my responsibility. Say it with me, I get to offer a happy person to a marriage. Now I'm gonna give you a real quick spiel on happiness, all right? Happiness, unhappiness is not the issue. It's like a check engine light. Anybody ever had a check engine light came on in your car? Stupid light, right? No, smart light, okay? Because the light is not the issue. The light is pointing to a deeper issue that needs to be addressed. So if you're unhappy, it's not unhappiness. That's the check engine light that says pull over and let a specialist look under the hood and see what you're really going through. So why am I unhappy? Because you are unfulfilled. Why am I unfulfilled? Because God had a purpose and context for your life that you're not living. So unhappiness is not the issue unfulfillment or non-fulfillment is. When you are operating according to your designer's intention, right, for your life, for your relationships, then you feel fulfilled. When you are fulfilled, it notifies your face. 
and you are happy because you are completely fulfilled as a human being. So happiness is something you're supposed to bring to your marriage, not squeeze out of your partner. And see, and that's, this is the, and this, and this is the part where a lot of people don't realize that's now where the door opens to infidelity. Right. Okay. This is where the door opens to resentment. This is where the door opens to bitterness. Because again, you know, you're supposed to make me happy. You're supposed to, you know, and nobody can make us happy if we're, like he said, if we're not happy. And so what happens is, this is how infidelity sneaks in, mm -hmm. is because you go to work or you go to church or you go to, yeah, you go to church and you see, you, wherever you go, you know, all right? You know, people play too much. But anyway, you go, you go in different arenas, and if that, that gaping hole, the void, is, the void yep. is saying that you're not happy, mm -hmm. what's going to end up happening is you're going to now start thinking that the least conversation you have with the next person in the cubicle, the, the this and the ha that and the hey, how you doing, and the hey, then, oh, well, they understand me. They, they're, they're playing me attention. And then this is what I've been wanting the whole time. And it's very subtle, but it happens. It's a slow fade, but once it happens, it's like, how did I get to this place? And so again, if you go, I remember um, a couple years ago, me and him had got into a heated argument, and I left out, and I, he went to work at the church, and I went shopping, right? Mm -hmm. So I went, I went uh, uh, retail therapy, right? But I never forget this day. I was, I was getting out of my truck, and I was, I was mad at Mark Jones, right? I get out of my truck mad, and I think I had an antenna said, doo -doo -doo -doo, mad, mad, just angry bird, just angry bird, right? So I'm walking into the store, right? And as I'm getting ready to walk into the store, this guy was about the same pace as I was coming across the parking lot. Devil. <laughs> he looked good. As he spoke to me and grabbed the door, he sounded good, but most of all, he smelled good, right? And he said, how you doing today? And I told this man, I said, you are the devil. I said, uh-uh. And he looking at me like, I'm just opening the door. But you don't realize that open door, the, the, he's paying your attention, your husband, un unresolved issues. And so I immediately like, girl, you better check that before you wreck yourself. So I immediately called my husband. I'm like, hey, guess what? Um, I left the house mad and da-da-da-da. And again, we have to be very careful because everything is subtle. And believe it or not, the man opened up the door. I went in the store. He went the other way. Went the other way. And I'm like, whew. But you know, the thing of it is, the void wasn't his to fix, okay? So I can't blame him, even though I was mad at him, but we have to be very careful how we leave our homes. We have to be very careful how we leave conversations. We have to be very careful how we leave the, the connection with our spouse, because if you leave an open door, the enemy will love to walk in and get comfortable. Well, and another thing, too, is the one person that whose accountability we should be accepting of is accountability with our spouse. 
See, one of the things that has kept us, you know, y'all can tell we are very gorgeous people. So, you know, people are attracted to us, right? But if, if you know, I have people that come to the church, right? And they're not looking for spiritual healing. They look for sexual healing. Hello, somebody. And I've had women come on to me in the church. And the first person I tell is my wife. The wrong Why? person to tell is we, Because we are accountable to, to one another. And I often say it like this. If you don't care about my marriage, I don't care about your feelings. If, the, if you got a secret or a lie, the devil's got an open door and a standing invitation to walk right into your relationship. So we've learned to accept the accountability of one another, to safeguard our marriage against these things that come from the outside. You know, and back to what my wife was saying, unresolved issues buried alive never die. They live to keep recreating themselves in future scenarios. So a, a fundamental part of our growth is that she got issues, I got issues. And we have to keep making sure that we are addressing those unresolved issues so that we can continue to offer an improving version of ourselves to our relationships. And what happens a lot of times when we see our spouse's weakness or their issues that they have, we become now their opponent. We're fighting them instead mm -hmm. of helping them fight. The issue, to get them. right. And if we lose the ability to become teammates, mm -hmm. then anything, and we, we made agreement that nothing from the outside should be able to come and, and take us out. Because yep. we should be a united front. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the scenarios don't go as smooth as it should because, you know, things don't just happen by textbook, you know, things. And there's times where things happen or come against the marriage. And there's been times that we've come at odds, getting distracted by what was trying to distract us. Mm -hmm. But then we, one of us or both of us are like, wait a minute, this is not even our issue. Not even our issue. This is not our issue. And so married people, you have to understand what's your issue and what's not your issue. Mm -hmm. All right, in-laws should not come between you guys. Your kids, your kids should not come in, your kids should not come between you. Work. No, it's us against y'all. All y'all. No, when we marry, right? I often tell couples when they come and marry, when you marry, your whole family right here, everybody else becomes them. That's everybody. So that it, God gave you someone in marriage to agree with. Because if any two on earth shall agree as touching anything, it shall be done. Bible says two, is, two are better than one. So the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it should not be that them or it divides us because we should be working together to make sure that we address it or that we address them. They, everybody else should have to wait until we confer with each other. You know, in the middle of it, what does it look like? There's been times we've dealt with things. I'm like, babe, I'm just here for your blind spot. I'm just, I'm just looking at Because sometimes men don't realize that, you know? There's things that women, we see that men don't see. I think sometimes they walk out with like blinders on and just like, I think they eat super pills for breakfast or something. And I'm like, bro, this is like, this is like plain as black and white. This is like plain as a nose on your face. And so you're like, I'm like, hey, I'm just here for your blind spot. You know, as a driver, he's a great driver, right? 
He can look forward. He can look in the rearview mirror. He can look through the side mirrors. I got the ability to turn it all the way around. I can look all the way. I can see stuff that he can't see, and vice versa. And we should be able to respect their view. Now, if you're dealing with a spouse that's insecure mm -hmm. or have jealous issues or emotional voids, sometimes what they see isn't really what's going on in their head. Right. But for the most part, for the safety of us, this isn't for the best interest of us, not just for the best interest of me. Mm -hmm. And so, men, respect your wives' blinds, the ability to see your blind spots. It's not that she's trying to tear you down. Mm -hmm. She's just trying to help you guys out. You know, that, right. especially in the pastoral context, because I, we've been pastoring for 22 years now. So I'm like, I'm like this to everybody. Like, whosoever will, let them come. My wife, like, not that helpful right there. Not that one. Like all the rest of these people, okay. Not that helpful right there. <laughs> well, is she my help meet or not? My wife is anointed to spot predators in my environment. My wife is anointed to spot predators in my environment. I don't see the stuff she sees. I'm not wired to look for it. I'm, I'm wired to love everybody no matter what condition they come in. You see, and so that's where that trust has to deepen to where, you know, my wife says something, I'm like, oh, I put a little check mark there. I'm like, all right, now I need to, yeah, uh-uh, right? I need to make sure that I keep a adequate buffer between them and me because my wife saw something I'm not gonna notice. So the, again, it's a trust that we develop. And I, I don't wanna, I wanna take a moment for just a moment if we would. I know there was supposed to be some questions that were written down, so I don't wanna, I don't want to get to a close here and we haven't addressed the question. Do we have any questions that were written down somewhere that can be passed up so we can maybe address some of those? While you guys are looking for Talk the questions. The stalemate, uh, self, yeah, uh -huh. so. All right, so um, while you guys are looking for the questions, we just want to go ahead and, and um, make note of a few things here. Um, marriage is the only relationship in where you go into a covenant agreement with, you know? And so that means something. And so you have to understand why did I, I didn't have children and make a covenant with the doctors and be like, okay, and for 18 years I'm gonna raise these kids until they old enough to go off, you know? But when you stand and make a covenant, you, you say until death do us part, you know? And a lot of people don't, don't really accept it. I talk to a lot of widows and they say, you know, I know I said my covenants, vows and everything, but I never realized this was going to happen. And you should act like every day is your last day with your spouse. Mm -hmm. And that will help diffuse the, the long arguments. You know, the Bible tells us not to let the sun go down on our wrath. Right. You know, and even in that, mm -hmm. you know, um, just go, dealing go with toward, this, go, go toward the, the issue. Problem. You know, like my, my wife, for example, right? She's the outgoing person. Very, she's the life of the party. Right, she's the extrovert. I'm very ingoing. Right, I, I, you know, it's amazing. I'm called to pastor a large church, and I don't like being in crowds. It's amazing, but I'm very ingoing and very introverted. Okay, and so it's very important to understand that you know we're we're different by design. It's not better or worse. It it's just it's just different, and that should not be a threat. We just should be understanding that we are different by design. There was somewhere I was going with that. You said something that made me bring up introversion versus 
Extra virgin. I forgot Verge, what it was. Extra virgin? Ex, no. This ain't olive oil, bro. No, I, so, so anyway, she's the more outgoing person. I'm the more ingoing person. I know what it was. So for example, there are times when she decided she wanted to try to give me the silent treatment. And y'all never done that, right wives? Yeah. She wanted to give me the silent treatment. I like silence. So, <laughs> a lot. I mean, a lot. So I would tell her, I'm like, now you know that's hurting you more than it's hurting me. So I go toward the problem. I'm like, whatever you want to talk about, come on and let's talk about it. Cause you know, you the one being tortured with this silence. I'm, I'm enjoying this. You know, so the point is, go toward the situation. There is no conversation we can't have. Now, you, if, if we got to stay up till two and three in the morning, we gonna talk about it. We gonna come to some kind of understanding. You know, and I, I basically know that we have an understanding when I hear. <laughs> That's how I know we're done. That's how I know the issue has been resolved. Amen. Were there any questions? No. There were no questions? All right, so there's hands raised, so we want to address the hands that are raised. Yes. Glasses. Yeah, I counseled a man in that exact situation. His wife was a doctor, and uh, the wife, because of her professional role, she thinks she's the head physician at home too. And I, I, my advice to him is lead, lead unashamedly. Give, you know, you got you're responsible for direction. You're responsible for leadership. So the the uh, don't acquiesce. And don't re relinquish your role because your wife doesn't understand it. See, what, a lot, what I found a lot of time, women don't like to control and be in charge. They feel they have to. Yeah. Okay. 32 years of marriage, my wife has never had to figure out where we're going to live. She's never had to figure out what she's going to drive. She's never asked me this question in 32 years of marriage. How are we going to pay for that? She's never asked me that question. She anticipates my I leadership. Asked what we're going to eat. You've asked what we're going to eat, but that's because you were going to decide something. Because <laughs> you had choices. But the point I'm making is that when, 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 who wouldn't submit to loving leadership? So it's all about leadership and knowing where we're going and having direction. And here's another thing, right? Headship means I put her interest in the interest of the family first. It means I'm responsible for their well-being. So I would say to that man, lead. Lead unashamedly, lead, lead unequivocally. Don't give up your assignment because your wife has a hard time trusting that God can lead y'all through him. So don't, don't hand over your assignment. Any other questions? Before we turn it over, we don't want to go too long. Yes, question. In the back, 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 in the back. 
Yeah, yeah. So here's why here's why I I love my wife unreservedly and unconditionally and deeply from the heart. And here's why. One reason why. Because God is love. God is love and I'm God's child. So my wife is a beneficiary of a divine relationship. Who I should be to her is between me and God. It has nothing to do with her. I'm going to say that again. Who I should be is between me and God. It has nothing to do with her. She's a, benefic she's a human beneficiary of a divine relationship. So God loves me unconditionally. Isn't that right? God loves me unreservedly. He keeps being good to me no matter what I am. Right? He loves me no matter what. So I'm supposed to model that to my wife. I'm supposed to love her unconditionally. Meaning there's nothing she has to keep doing to be the beneficiary of this love. And under no circumstances, unreservedly, under no circumstances will I stop being the person God wants me to be to her. So there is no, oh, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, so I'm going to stop doing what I'm supposed to do. No, that doesn't exist. Because if I, if I acquiesce to your noncompliance, then that means now I've turned over my headship to you. You know, I never forget, my wife didn't, you know, she didn't want to be a pastor's wife. She didn't want to be a godly wife. <laughs> she didn't want none of this, right? When she, but really, that was just her processing her issues. And I never forget, God gave me a vision, and at the front of the boat was me driving, because I'm the captain. And she was at the back of the boat kicking and screaming about not wanting to go. And the Lord said to me, son, keep driving. She's going wherever you're going. She's going wherever you're going. So unconditionally and unreservedly, I love my wife. Amen? Amen. Any other questions before we, we hand this over? She said a couple more. All right, we're under directions. A couple more. In that particular situation, when it came to the abandonment, because I had a lot of transposed fears um, that came from other that paralyzed me from being able to enjoy my marriage, um, one of the things I had to do is take now personal responsibility for my process at that moment and come current. Mm -hmm. And when I say come current, I realize I'm not that little girl anymore. I'm now a married woman. Mm -hmm. And I have a choice to still think like the, the poison little girl that was victimized, mm -hmm. or I can take ownership, take the tools that, well, take, I, what the steps that I took was first I had to take personal responsibility for mm -hmm. where I was. Mm -hmm. And I chose to come current. Mm -hmm. Doing that, I had to look at the layout of my the women in my family, okay, and how they dealt with things, and going back to what God said, and it wasn't easy at first because it was knowing what God said was new to me. Okay, I wasn't raised in church, so trying to now understand the Word and renew my mind from the Word of God, it wasn't an overnight thing. 
but I had to also nip certain conversations in the bud. I had to, when they start talking about, you know, the, the men and all this, I had to opt out of those conversations because then it was, if I did not at that time, it was just going to continue to facilitate what had already been downloaded into me to think about men. Also with the abandonment, that's been a process over the years in different areas, but when it came to my relationship with my husband, um, I had to even go back and visit certain conversations that we had when we were just dating. And one of the conversations was, um, my husband was a little vain, right? So he had this car with crushed velvet and I was pregnant with our son. And he had the audacity to tell me, um, <laughs> he had, well, before this happened, before we got pregnant, when I, when we, before I even got pregnant, he had a cousin that was a little, you know, thick, you know, a little, little heavy. And so he had rims that was low to the car, to the ground. And we all got stranded at the mall one night, at Tampa Bay Mall. And I called, I said, hey, call your cousin so he can come pick us up, right? So he said, well, who with you? So I said, this cousin and that cousin. And he, when I said, the one cousin, all y'all not getting in my car. <laughs> I said, but you're not coming to get us? No, y'all gotta find another way. All because of the one cousin. So he says, I don't want my, my, my rim to scrub to the ground. So I said, well, at least come get me. So we got into a conversation. He says, I don't do big chicks. I don't do thick chicks, da, 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 da. So he was so vain, he had these little girls on the side of his car with the pose, the, the silhouette girls, right? The burlesque girls on the side of his car. Yes. So, <laughs> so that, was, that was dropped in my head because when he met me, I was that burlesque girl on the side of the car, right? Now after the baby, I started picking up weight, and one of the things in my mind, because my mom was very, always controlling me about my weight, always talked to me about my weight, and all these conversations are now boom, 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 in my mind, and I was taking it out on him. Instead of saying, hey, this is why I'm thinking this, I'm just coming at him like, and he's like, girl, what's wrong with you? I could not verbalize what was wrong with me because it was a lot going on with me. And so therefore, at that moment, when, when we got, you know, after, after I had my daughter, um, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I picked up more baby weight, you know? And so all I'm thinking was, I'm that fat girl that he said he didn't want to be with. I'm that fat girl, I'm, I'm that girl. So now I fear, too in our I, I fear yeah. that now I'm that, that girl that is not, a, I'm not that girl on the side of the car anymore. That mental torment, mm -hmm. right? So we were laying in bed one night and I just had to have a conversation. Boom. Because we were, we were at, ooh, it was not cute. And he apologized for something that happened before we got married. So I brought in a girlfriend-boyfriend conversation into our marriage, and it was never addressed. But now he's being attacked 
and penalized because of a conversation that he had. And a lot of us are attacking our spouse on situations and conversations that they were not even a part of either from our childhood, our family programming, or something that they said in a very ignorant state of their life. Mm -hmm. And we're stuck and we're, we're allowing ourselves to remain emotionally hostage to a situation that we're no longer in. So for myself, I had to learn how to pick up my pieces. He couldn't pick up my pieces. I had to pick up my pieces. And when I looked at the pieces, it was more pieces than I bargained for. But in order to heal, I had, because whenever we break glass or something, what we do? We go to the big parts first, the things that we see. But it's that slither, that little slither of glass that if we're not attentive to it, get in our foot and cause us more pain than the broken piece of glass, right? So when we're dating, when we're courting, when we first get married, when we're interested in each other, we, we know how to pick up the big pieces. We know how to manage the big pieces. But those little subtle slithers, those little conversations, those little gestures that never get picked up, and now they're an emotional spill in our lives, we're looking at it, knowing it's somewhere there, but we don't want to take the to pick it up. Mm -hmm. So I had to learn how to pick up my pieces because he was picking up his pieces. He was picking it up at a different pace than I was, but we both had to pick up our pieces. And I had to learn how to not become a victim any longer to my childhood and to my past and to things that predated us and even the things that predated our marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, because when we were girlfriend and boyfriend, it was tit for tat. But now when we become married, we got saved, we had to start thinking Different. differently. And a lot of us don't know how to come current right. in our relationships. And you'll never be able to fall in love again if you don't know how to come current. Well, and amen. Make sure we touch that. Let me go with them. This part here. Amen. Get up. And, that, and coming current. It is a process. You know, there are conversations we have to have that are just update conversations. You know, like I said, when we opened up, when you go from, you know, 16 and 18 to 51 and 53, that's a whole lot of life. And marriages, uh, anniversaries don't improve marriages. They don't. Getting aging is, is inevitable. Growth is optional. And so if, we, if we're going to... Aging, aging is inevitable. Growth is optional. Getting older don't mean you're getting better. And you never get better without a process. And the moment that we think that we, you know, we've gotten too old for process is the moment we decide to die in our relationships. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to die in my relationship. I want to die to myself so I can relate better. Because really, relationship... I think uh, Pastor Van mentioned it, right? Relationship come down to your relatability. And you know, and I, I've often talked to people who want, they want something that the way they are will never give them. And I'm like, you want a relationship that's better than you are. 
we ought, we ought to have peace. Well, you come home raising hell every day. How you gonna have peace? You, you like to argue. How you gonna have, you gonna pray for peace and then argue about dumb stuff? You like to argue. You wanna argue. Well, you gotta decide, do I wanna be right or do I want us to be one? Ultimately, is it about me being right or us being one? As my wife often say, right? We're either going to be soulmates, stalemates, or or cellmates. Roommates, soulmates, stalemates, or soulmates. And we got to decide, what are we going to be? Are we going to be stalemates to where we both just hold in our position? Because I know I'm right. You know what the argument is? Two really right people. Okay? <laughs> both of us right. Are we going to be cellmates where we're just... We just locked into this because, you know, we, it's been 10 years, you know, so this is what it is. There's no joy. I'm just counting the days. Count, walking a mile and counting the days. <laughs> or, or is it just roommates? I mean, where else am I going to get somebody else to pay 50% of these bills? Or are we really going to be soulmates? Well, we decide that we're going to connect we're gonna coalesce. We're gonna we're gonna evolve to a place where when you say Mark, you automatically mean Lisa. When you say Lisa, you automatically mean Mark. Hello, somebody, because we are us, and there is nothing that can divide us because we have chosen to grow in oneness. You know, I'm gonna close with this. And I think there's one more question. Okay, all right. I, I'm gonna close. One more thing. You know, we talked a lot tonight about fear, right? The Bible says there is no fear in love. Fear is designed to keep you from loving. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to rob the soundness of your mind, to steal your commitment to love, and to steal your power, to sap your strength. So the growth of love is the end of fear. That's how you get the fear out of your relationship, you grow in love. And the growth of love means less and less and less and less and less and less do I think this is about me. What I've learned is if I make it about you, you make it about me, then we made it about us. Go ahead. Real quick as we close. Um, and like I said, we all, all of our marriages look different, all right? Each season of your marriage requires a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. A different one. A different sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of people really don't understand um, how to come together as a team. Because you have to agree on what you're sacrificing in that moment in order to plan for what you're desiring. Mm-hmm. Now we know things come up and it happens and it don't always go as pictured. But if you're on the same page and you're under- keeping each other accountable, this is what we said. You know, whether it's coming out of debt, whatever it is, you have to learn to walk together. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that a lot of marriages don't know how to do is compromise. Right, right. Don't know how to compromise. And if you don't trust the person you're with, again, I'm sure you didn't go to the altar or to the courthouse or wherever you went and got married saying, I don't really trust this person. I don't like this person. I'm just doing it to have something to do. I just want to wear a cute dress today. That's not why you, well, I understand that's not why you. <laughs> Some people keep married for the wrong reason. They get um, married for the pictures. For the pictures. 
Um. <laughs> well, they spend a lot of time and effort on a wedding and none on a marriage. Some people get married because they don't want to die alone. There's some people who don't really know how to be married. They just don't want to be married. They don't want to die alone. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's a lot of people who don't want to be married, but they do it out of the convenience. They need a roommate. They need somebody to pay half the bills. They need somebody to go with them to family dinners and family events. So they're tired of being, girl, you ain't got no man, get it? You know? So a lot of people marry for the wrong reasons. And we always say it don't end wrong. They begin wrong. It starts wrong. So we check our foundations. I talked to a young lady today. She saw me in the store. And I'll make this quick as I wrap it up with our next point. Have you ever passed by the streets and you saw a home or building or whatever you thought, and it's been just sitting, and you just see the land torn up in the foundation, but no progress? No progress. Pass by another year, like, well, dang, what they building? When they go finish? No progress. When they, you know? And a lot of times, like, well, why, why didn't they finish the project? For one, they didn't really do the work necessary before they put the foundation up. They, they thought, okay, the land is there, let's just throw some cement on it. It takes much more than just throwing cement out on a plane of field. You gotta level that thing out. And a lot of people are getting married before they level things out. All right? You're looking like, well, dang, when they gonna finish the building? They ran out of funds. A lot of people go into marriages not realizing what it's going to cost the cost. them. Right. Right. What is it going to cost you? You want this 10-bedroom house, a bath, but what is it going to cost you emotionally? What is it going to cost you physically? What is it going to cost you so? What is it going? It's going to cost you something. And that's how marriages are. It's a cost to it. Yep. Marriage is very enjoyable, right? But marriage won't be, you won't enjoy your marriage all the time, and that's the truth. Marriage is very enjoyable, but there's gonna be days you don't enjoy your marriage or your spouse. However, you go back to reset and learn to fall in love. And you know why, when, one of the things when I get mad at him, I'm like, why did you go to that altar? Like when I'm sassy and we're at, I say, you asked me to marry you, right? But guess what? I didn't have to say I do. We didn't have a shotgun. We did not have a shotgun wedding. All right? He woke me up on my 19th birthday. Yeah. He said, hey, let's go get married. Yep. I'm like, for real? Okay. Went, and we went to Bush Garden for our honeymoon. We went to Bush Garden for our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> it worked for us. And some people, and my grandmother said, girl, you settled. But she said, I'm she, happy. Her grandma said she settled with me. Wow. <laughs> but anyway. How you like me now? But every segment. Every, every season of your marriage requires a sacrifice, and every segment requires you a to strategy. have a strategy. Yeah. It requires a strategy, and a lot of marriages are Suffering a for a lack of strategy. Mm-hmm. If this building was on fire, they're going to have an alarm system, and the people that's in charge of putting us evacuate knows exactly how to take us out. When marriages go through crisis, they don't know what to do. It's like... What are we going to do? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you as we close, I'm closing, officially closing. What are you doing in your marriage? What are you really doing? Is it just for advertisement? 
just to say I got a man or I got a woman? Or is it to really understand the purpose of your relationship? To break generational curses. To, to be able to reveal Christ. Reveal, Christ, reveal Christ. And so again, in order to fall in love, you gotta remember why you said I do. Learn to apologize. Learn to apologize. Learn to say thank you. Learn to do the, the simple things. This is not the major things. I tell my husband all the time, thank you, you say, for what I say, just for me not even have to think about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to do, right? And people think, oh, because you have, no, it's not even about the tangible physical things. It's the simple things, you know? Like my husband said, as long as I'm with him, we can live in the back of a trunk. I don't care. I really don't care because I'm for him and not for what he has. I'm for my husband, not for the tangible things. I am with my husband. Okay, and you have to be realistic and you have to be truthful. And a lot of us are in marriages and we're not truthful. And we're making the person that we're in marriage with miserable. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Amen. 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 Turn it over to Pastor. 